when I look back about what I left behind, all I see are seven years of, of joy. I mean, I, I had such a wonderful time. That seven years changed my life. It didn't just change my life because I was part of Star Trek. As an actor, I had so much fun. It was such a joy to play that character. Nog was like, he was so parallel to my own life. And I don't think, I don't know if you knew that. It was almost because you guys were there, somehow you picked up on who I was and you put that in that character. Because his life was, was literally parallel, but just amplified, because Nog was amplified as a Ferengi. You know, I, I went through a kidney transplant at, at, at 14. When I was 17, I got into acting, and I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I, and I made that choice, which is outside the norm of our regular society. Nobody, people, parents are like, oh no, don't go into acting, go be a doctor. And I did it because I fell in love with it. And I thought to myself, I don't know how long I've got. I don't know, I might have four years, I might have 10, but I'm gonna fucking go for it because I don't know where it's gonna take me and I wanna know that I at least tried. And I did. And every time you guys call me, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm working. I'm, I'm, my dream is coming true. And not only was I working, but you guys were giving me great stuff. I had a great cast, I had a great crew, I had great production. Every time I worked, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is the life I set out for. Nog went through the same path. He went through the same path. He was in something, he had change. He said, I wanna go for that. He went for it. People gave him that chance. People gave me a chance. And that's what, I, and I don't even think I left it behind because I always carry that love for the show with me wherever I go. And when I get to go to, to Star Trek conventions and meet the fans and they say how much they love the show and then I see their kids that are 10 going, oh, Nog's great, I love Nog. I'm like, man, look at this, I'm part of this. I will forever be a part of this. And that's, no one can take that away from me. So when you ask me what I've left behind, it's hard. I, I can't think I left anything behind because it's still here with me every day. Welcome back to a somber episode of Weekly Trek after a sad week for the Star Trek fan community. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on September 26, 2019, and is current through the end of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. So as always, please beware of spoilers. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise and the entire franchise, whether involved in any of the productions or in the fan community, have been rocked this week by the passage of Aaron Eisenberg. Joining me this week to discuss this week's stories is returning guest Tyler Habiger. Tyler, it's a sad week, but I'm very grateful for you to being my guest on this episode. Alex, thank you very much for having me, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on. I wish the circumstances were a little better, but I'm glad to be with you. And uh, we'll do our best to, to sort of change it from a somber episode into a bit more of a celebration of Aaron's life, given that he was such a positive character. But normally, at this point, I'd ask you something that's got you feeling good about Star Trek. But this week, we're going to change things up. 
a little bit. There's so much to celebrate about Aaron Eisenberg, both the actor and the characters that he played, predominantly Nog on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We'll talk a bit more about the actor himself in the rest of the episode, but before we dive in, I'd love to know your favorite Nog moment from Deep Space Nine. Oh my goodness. Obviously, there are so many wonderful Nog episodes from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and the one of the best things about Star Trek Deep Space Nine was that it had so many recurring characters that had full arcs as characters. And it just, it, it makes the show like a fine wine. It just gets better with age. And Nog's storyline just got better as the years went on. But I have to tell you, my favorite Nog moment is a little bit unconventional. It is actually from season five, episode 23. It's actually from the episode Blaze of Glory. It is when Nog is back on Deep Space Nine from the Academy, and he is working as a security officer, and he's having some trouble with the Klingons that are on the station, particularly General Martok, one of the more imposing Klingons. And he has had some trouble with them, like in, in the Quark's bar and, and loitering on the promenade and so forth. And finally, they are uh, they're loitering around their favorite spots, his and, Jake, his and Jake Sisko's favorite spots. And he finally stands up to the general and he sort of stands toe-to-toe with him as as much as you can with general martok and he basically uh, stands up to the general and martok bellowed to him this ferengi is either courageous or a fool to threaten him with such an arrest but he stood his ground despite it all and martok laughed and he liked the gumption of the ferengi so he moved on and after that general martok had respect for nog and and Nog felt as though he had accomplished something with the Klingons. So that was my favorite Nog episode. But there are so many wonderful Nog moments, but for me, that one was my favorite. I don't believe this. What's wrong? They're loitering on the promenade in our old spot. I guess they know a good view when they see one. Jake, don't you get it? They know I'm territorial about that spot. They're purposely doing this to insult me. Nog, you are definitely getting stranger as you get older. Can't let them do this to me. Stay back, Jake. This could get ugly. (laughs) All right, it's time for you to move along. We will decide when it is time to move. Station Regulation 82-7B clearly states that loitering on the promenade is prohibited. Is that so? It is. Now, either move or I'm going to have to place you under arrest. You are either very brave or very stupid, Parangi. Probably a little of both. (laughs) Indeed. Courage comes in all sizes. But don't tempt fate. Gigosh. Dog! I'm impressed. Klingons. You just have to know how to handle them. (laughs) That's a really fabulous choice. I, uh, you're totally right. You know, the, the arc of the character is probably one of the most interesting in Deep Space Nine and, and also, frankly, is, is one of the most Star Trek. You know, this idea that these Ferengi characters who start off as something of being caricatures, being pretty broadly drawn 
pastiches of, you know, what are quite frankly, in some cases, pretty bold stereotypes. And over the course of the seven seasons, you know, really become fully fleshed out people. And Nog being a character who, much like his father, Ron, played by Max Grudenchik, you know, sort of went against type and had this, you know, sort of evolution over the course of the series. And I think the moment you've picked is one that that sort of perfectly encapsulates that, right? I mean, who would have anticipated a Ferengi to behave in a in a brave way in front of a Klingon general, no less one as as large and imposing as J.G. Hertz as Martok. So I, I think that's a really fabulous choice. Well, and it just shows you the different ways that the species, the different species in DS9 interacted with one another. And before Nog stood up to Martok, like I would assume that the general didn't hold Ferengi in general in very high regard as, as other species did because of their, their love for profit and whatnot. So they, you know, they could not be more different in terms of a species, but Nog showed his gumption and that gave Martok a new perspective, I suppose. So both characters, I suppose, benefited from that. So, but well done to all. So my pick, I wanted to pick a deep cut like you did, uh, but I just found myself, I kept coming back to it's only a paper moon and that last scene in the holodeck between Vic Fontaine and Nog. Don't you get it? I can't go out there. Why not? I'm scared, okay? I'm scared. (gasps) When the war began, I wasn't happy or anything, but I was eager. I wanted to test myself. I wanted to prove I had what it took to be a soldier. And I saw a lot of combat. I saw a lot of people get hurt. I saw a lot of people die. But I didn't think anything was going to happen to me. And then suddenly, Dr. Bashir is telling me he has to cut my leg off. I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe it. If I can get shot, if I can lose my leg, anything can happen to me, Vic. I could die tomorrow. I don't know if I'm ready to face that. If I stay here, at least I know what the future is going to be like. You stay here, you're gonna die. Not all at once, but little by little. Eventually you become as hollow as I am. You don't seem hollow to me. Compared to you, I'm hollow as a snare drum. Look, kid, I don't know what's gonna happen to you out there. All I can tell you is that you've got to play the cards life deals you. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But at least you're in the game. It's a really fabulous, moving scene that Aaron played so well and and Jimmy Darren alongside him of, you know, taking the time to grapple with this trauma that had happened to him in a previous episode and and the sort of post-traumatic stress disorder that he was suffering from as a result of that and the way that Vic Fontaine and, and Vic's, you know, holodeck program 
had sort of helped sort of serve as his therapy through it, but his sort of coming to his realization that, you know, it was time for him to do the hard work of reintegrating back into real life. I mean, again, you know, for a Ferengi character where the race started out where it did in in the last outpost in the next generation where they're so comical and so ridiculous, frankly. And then fast forward a number of years, we're now in Deep Space Nine and this race has been more fleshed out. And here is one of these characters dealing with a, a serious trauma in a way that feels very true to life and very true to humanity it's just such a it's an it's an incredibly moving episode and it's a very moving scene and aaron eisenberg was a really great actor and if anybody ever kind of doubted that you know this episode and this scene 100 percent for all time puts that to bed i mean it was in my opinion an award-worthy uh, performance absolutely and as we must all trek fans know aaron eisenberg just he he loved that scene personally and in the documentary, even, he talks about how so many veterans over the past you know, two decades came up to him and said, that scene meant so much to me coming back from, from combat or from overseas where I had to do unspeakable things. And that scene got me through dark days. And so, uh, so that meant a lot to Aaron Eisenberg himself. So it just gets better as we, as we see it more and more times. And it just, it was sort of ahead of its time in so many ways. And we could honestly turn this into an episode of Trek Ranks and each give a solid five top nog moments. And so, you know, to, to folks who are listening, I would just say you probably have just done a Deep Space Nine rewatch for the 25th anniversary. I think it's probably time to go back and start all over again. And, uh, uh, and really pay attention to, to Aaron Eisenberg's performance and the character development of Nog throughout the series, because it really is a joy to see that very complete arc for the character, and it's, it's, so, it's so enjoyable. All right, well, with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on, and I'm a reporter. As we've already been talking about, the Star Trek community was heartbroken this week to learn of the death last Saturday night of actor Aaron Eisenberg at the age of 50. Aaron, best known for playing Nog in all seven seasons of Deep Space Nine and a guest appearance as a Kazon on Star Trek Voyager, was a beloved fixture of Star Trek conventions around the world. Most recently, Aaron shared his reflections of his time on Deep Space Nine as part of the Deep Space Nine documentary, the clip that you heard at the beginning, and provided some of the most moving testimony about what the show meant to him. He leaves behind a wife, Melissa Longo, who he married late last year, and two sons. There are several verified GoFundMe campaigns set up to help his wife deal with the expenses of Aaron's passing, which has raised over $30,000 to date and is really a, a credit and a testament both to Aaron and to the Star Trek fan community for coming together to provide support for Aaron's family in this time of need. There's also a second fundraiser, which is being run by the soccer team that Aaron coached. And it's clear that Aaron was beloved both by his fellow Star Trek actors and by the fan community. He was an enthusiastic participant at conventions, always happy, always smiling, and one of the first actors to take the plunge in terms of putting on the old makeup, putting on the old costume, and appearing on stage in character as the character that we all knew and loved, Nog. The, the Rom-Nog double act in which they were both in costume and the full Ferengi makeup was a delightful experience for anybody who had the opportunity to be at a convention at which they were appearing. A huge thrill. I saw the act 
a number of times. I, I always really enjoyed it. And I happened to get also was able to get a picture with Aaron and with Max. And it's now, you know, a very treasured part of my Star Trek collection. Aaron was also very active on social media, particularly on Twitter, where his interactions with Star Trek fans were both substantive and fun. Um, I think his co-star and fellow Ferengi, Armin Shimman, who played Quark, kind of said it best when he tweeted after Aaron's passing, that I have lost a great friend and the world has lost a great heart in Aaron Eisenberg. He was a man of conviction and enormous sensitivity and the best of humanity. Kitty and I grieve Aaron, his boys, and Melissa. Flights of angels, my friend, you will be missed. And that's just one of a number of tributes that we've seen come in for Aaron Eisenberg over the last week, not just from his fellow co-stars on Deep Space Nine who knew him best, but also from members of the next generation, Star Trek Voyager, even Star Trek Discovery. You know, Aaron might only have been on Deep Space Nine in one episode of Star Trek Voyager, but by virtue of being a fixture on the Star Trek convention circuit, he had lots of opportunities to meet and get to know the other stars. And it seems that, you know, he was just as much of a great guy when he was not kind of on in front of the fans as he was uh, when he was interacting with the fandom. Uh, this one hurts a lot, uh, but the outpouring of love for Aaron from all corners of the Star Trek community has provided us some comfort this week. Tyler, don't you think that, you know, even though this is a very sad event, it's still so nice to see the way that the fan community has come together? Just seeing the, all of those Twitter postings and, and social media postings from everyone from William Shatner to Wilson Cruz, Ken Mitchell, Mary Chifo, the, the list goes on and on. It's, yes, like you say, he, he may have just been on DS9 and, and one episode of Voyager, but he was... Uh, he was a pillar. He was the one that you always looked for in the vendor's room because he was the one that was chatting, coming up behind his table and and like and interacting with fans and asking them questions about their cosplay and where they were from. And the seventh rule is a, is a beautiful example of that. It's you could you can tell just by his convention appearances and by uh, listening to the seventh rule, which I was I was so privileged, I got to be on the seventh rule a couple of months ago before STLB uh, with my best friend Madison. And we talked about our, our best friendship and how Star Trek sort of brought us closer together. And and he, Aaron was was so wonderful. He um, he actually didn't want to talk about Deep Space Nine or Star Trek as so much as he wanted to talk about Kansas City because we're both in the <laughs> Kansas City area. And he wanted to talk about barbecue and the and the Royals and the Chiefs and like you're asking a Star Trek fan to talk about sports. I don't think that's going to end well for anybody. So, but it was just it was so magical and he was so down to earth. And it, you don't you don't think of him as a as a really as a celebrity at all. You think of him just as a, a regular guy, a, a husband and a dad and a soccer coach and the guy that knew all the lyrics to the Sluggo Cola song 20 years later. <laughs> and another thing that really, again, yeah, it, it's still raw. It's, it's not, it hasn't even been a week. It's still, it doesn't feel like it actually happened, Alex, if that makes sense to you. No, absolutely. Something that really made a huge difference with me when I was sort of reading back on, on Aaron's life is that he was such a huge advocate for organ donation. Mm -hmm. And since he was only born with one kidney and he had a transplant and then he had another one in 2015. And I remember at Dark Trek Las Vegas in 2016, how emotional he was on stage in 2016 when he was talking about like, I'm doing very well and my donor's doing well. And I just, I'm so grateful for all of you, for all of your well wishes and everything that that's, and he was so, he, he, he broke down on stage. And like, that's, that's who Aaron Eisenberg was. He was just a grateful, 
human being. We all know him as a Ferengi, but he's just one of the best of humanity. And one of the most authentic members of the sort of any Star Trek cast. I mean, you know, in terms of what we heard from him on the Deep Space Nine documentary, the way he's always interacted with fans, you know, he's always been so honest and raw about the experiences that he's had. And also, you know, that cuts both ways in terms of also the positivity around his enjoyment of having been part of the Star Trek franchise and the legacy that it has. I mean, it's clear that that has been since Deep Space Nine such an important part of his life. And, and you were talking so eloquently about his podcasting in, in recent years, most recently The Seventh Rule with Surat Lofton, but also The Alpha Quadrant with Garrett Wong. Mm. You know, he's he he has sort of reveled in being a part of this franchise and, and not in a macabre way, right? I mean, you know, there are probably actors that you can point to and say they are kind of using this as a way to burnish their own career, as a way to, you know, bilk fans out of money. Um, but Aaron Eisenberg, it wasn't like that. I mean, it was obvious how much he loved the material, how much he loved being part of it, and how much it meant to him at the same time. And so, you know, his sort of authentic love for the material was what made the connection with the fans so easy because we authentically love it too. Yes, absolutely. And you could, uh, another memory that I have from this past uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, he came to our Night of Diversity event in the Rio that I, I was privileged to co-host. And he had lost his voice by that point. He had been working the, he had been working the room so hard that day. He's like, my voice is gone. I can't really talk. I just want to say hi. But he went around every fan in that room. He was just there for charity. Like he wasn't paid or anything like that. He was just there. And he went around, he shook everyone's hand. He took every selfie that was asked of him. And when I announced that he was in the room, he just wanted, he was saying hello and he was trying to say hi. And then he said, all right, give, give me the mic, give me the mic. And it's like, I'm just, I'm so grateful that you all are here and so forth. And like, I knew he was going to want to say something because that's, that's how much the fans mean to him. And he was just there for, for the sake of charity. It's like, this is a great cause. It's like, I'm so glad you all are here. This is what the Star Trek community is all about. It's like, it's just how, it's like how this GoFundMe has, you know, the original goal was $10,000 and it's raised $32,000 as of this afternoon. So it's just an incredible outpouring. It's, you know, Trek fans like to go above and beyond and, and so did Aaron. So we we're very cohesive like that. And if you're listening and thinking, how can I help and how can I kind of uh, help honor, you know, Aaron Eisenberg's life, one of the ways of doing so uh, would be to consider donating to one of the fundraisers that's currently live to help his family through this difficult time. If you, you know, have lost a loved one, you know, if you live in the US, how expensive death can be related to funeral expenses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, it is, it really helps a family who's going through a hardship not to have to worry about the significant bills that I'm sure are being incurred at the same time. So please consider donating if you're able to, as a way of saying thank you to Aaron Eisenberg for his legacy and everything that he has given us as fans. Here, here. Well, we could talk all episode about Aaron Eisenberg and we will talk some more about Aaron when we get to the end of the episode, but there are a couple of news stories I also wanted us to dive into because next week is New York Comic Con and we'll be doing another post Comic Con discussion episode uh, with uh, Jen Tift talking about everything we learned there we didn't want these two stories to get lost in what will probably be a really big episode next week and then who knows what comes after we'll turn our attention to Star Trek Discovery and switch gears entirely as many of you know for the past 
nearly a year, there has been an active lawsuit against Star Trek Discovery over allegations of plagiarism. Indie game developer Anas Abdeen had sued CBS and alleged they had plagiarized a game he was developing called Tardigrades. The allegation was that Discovery had copied the spacefaring Tardigrade idea from him, as well as some of the character concepts. That lawsuit was dismissed this week. The judge, Lorna Schofield, found the argument totally unconvincing. She wrote, the defendant's motion to dismiss is granted, that's CBS's motion to dismiss, because Star Trek Discovery and Plaintiff's video game are not substantially similar as a matter of law in concept, character, setting, and overall feel. In particular, the Tardigrade in Star Trek Discovery is not substantially similar to Plaintiff's Tardigrade in concept, attributes, or overall feel. Actually, if, you, if you're interested, I, I highly recommend finding the judge's uh, ruling and giving a read. It's, it's, it's a relatively easy read. It's only 15 pages. There's not a ton of legalese in there. Uh, it's very easy to follow. And she really does take you point by point through a deconstruction of this lawsuit. You know, there had been, and, and talks about how in the sort of filing that had been made about the lawsuit that Anas Abdeen and his lawyers had included a number of short video clips. And, and many of you have probably seen those if you followed this lawsuit at all. Uh, and it does have, you know, indicate that, you know, there is a spacefaring tardigrade and there are characters who do share some physical appearance similarities to characters in Star Trek Discovery. But the judge really lays out a very cogent case for why actually that presentation was kind of selectively edited, that there are significant deviations between the way that the tardigrade is used in the game versus the way the tardigrade is used in the show, and that the characters are really, really different. Um, it's tough to walk away from reading that and think that there was any there there, which I think most people could probably have told you since there was also this back and forth between CBS and Nasabdeen's lawyers about how plagiarism could possibly have taken place. The only way they were able to even indicate that it was possible is because one of the Discovery writers had an account on Steam at roughly the same time that Anas had had this game up on Steam. And so the allegation was that this writer had potentially found the game and copied some of it. But uh, the writer in question uh, was not hired until well into first season uh, development. And many of these decisions about characters and concepts had already been created by the time she was hired. So, you know, this was always a bit of a, a ridiculous lawsuit. And it's, it's nice to see that it's gone away. I mean, it's, you know, this has been a cause celebra for a lot of the uh, YouTube warriors who have an agenda against the current Star Trek franchise. Uh, and obviously, they've been up in arms about this ruling over the last week. But Anas Abdeen himself uh, has obviously expressed disappointment over the ruling, uh, but has said he will respect it and wants his fans to respect it too. Slightly odd thing is he's also said he's not sure where this leaves his career as a game developer. But actually, I think this leaves his career in exactly the same place it was before. His kind of argument was, you know, well, now CBS could come after me for copying them, but the judge's ruling is about how there is no substantial similarity between the two, so they're free to, to do their own thing. Tyler, this always seemed like kind of a ridiculous lawsuit. Pretty nice to see it's finally been put to bed and we can all move on from this this silly chapter in Star Trek Discovery's history, don't you think? Absolutely. I, I think the judge was, was well within their rights to uh, basically issue this ruling that 
there's not a sub the keyword I think here is substantial. I think there are, of course, there are definitely coincidences with the tardigrade and with characters and so forth, kind of resembling each other. But it's not a it's not enough to support a claim that they he was stolen from, like his intellectual property was stolen from. If that makes sense, I haven't read a whole lot of legal briefs in my life, but I got to tell you, this was probably the most entertaining legal brief I've ever read <laughs> in my life. That's, and uh, one can only hope that uh, one of one of the attorneys assigned to this was a Star Trek fan. So they must have got a little bit of joy in, in writing this response. But the, the brief is actually, it goes into rather a lot of detail. For those of you listening, I, I, I do encourage you as well to read this. It's actually really good because it goes into like the television series, meaning Discovery. It's got a clear and fully constructed concept that develops across 15 episodes of that first season and builds upon over five generations of Star Trek content. So clearly there was a lot of heart and soul put into researching the Star Trek franchise and then this other game that was in the early stages of development and had been in, you know, in, in development for a few years. But it also brings a lot into question about the tardigrade itself and how many different examples there is of a tardigrade in literature and how they all sort of look the same and, and so forth. So there just wasn't enough there to to rule in favor of this game and and uh, abdeen himself so yes it's slightly ridiculous absolutely i will agree and yes there are some you know random coincidences here but i think the judge made the right call and star trek discovery is you know i think is a very well written show i think it's it has a long way to go of course we're going into the future now so it's going to be you know a whole new ball game so i'm excited to see where it goes and i'm glad that this chapter seems to be seems to be over since you said that abdeen wants everyone to respect the ruling even though he doesn't agree with it and we don't talk a lot on this show about you know some of the crazier arguments and theories that get tossed around the more toxic parts of the Star Trek fandom, because frankly, I don't rate them. And, and I think by talking about them, you you give them a credibility and you give them the platform they want. I'll make an exception for this one just to say that there are villains in this sordid affair. And it's not an Asab Dean. I think he seems like a creative person who, you know, feels very passionately about the work that he's done and, and felt that there was uh, a lot of of similarities between the work that he put together and the work that appeared on screen. No, the true villains here are the ones who monetized his dissatisfaction for content, who mined it for outrage and clicks and therefore money, and whose only MO in all of this seems to be to cater to that very small but very vocal minority of fans who seem to have some big problem with the direction that Star Trek is going in. There's certainly many criticisms you can make about the current Star Trek franchise. You won't hear me you know, be 100% exclusively, entirely fawning over everything that's happened. You know, there are, there are things that I really like. There's a lot of things I really like, but there are also some things that I have issues with. But the, the current kind of movement in the in the fandom sphere to to monetize anger and hatred is wrong and it kind of draws in you know some of these you know vulnerable bystanders and I think Anas Abdeen is one of them you know to uh, to have gone back and read some of his blog posts I mean he you know he does seem like somebody who himself has suffered a recent personal family tragedy and 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 he's been used by these people who don't care about him at all even though they claim to they are and remain the true villains of the piece and they will continue not to get much of my attention except when it rises to the level of something like this absolutely as far as i'm concerned as well alex they can uh, 
they can keep their their masks on and their voice changers going for their their YouTube content. And uh, we will continue on with the franchise we have fallen in love with since we were children. And I'm glad that this is, like I said, I'm glad that this is behind us. I'm glad that uh, the court ruled as it did. And I'm glad that there was so much thought put into it as well. It certainly was not a, um, a brief brief. It was well thought out. It was you know carefully laid out. And it makes someone that's not read a legal brief before or a legal ruling before, it makes them understand that there's really not a substantial claim here to, to claim that something was stolen in terms of copyright or, or property. So I'm 100% with you there, Alex. I, I think onward and upward for, for our little fleet here. Onward and upward. Well, looking ahead, we got a little bit of interesting news about uh, the home of Star Trek Las Vegas this week. The Rio Hotel, which has been the site of Star Trek Las Vegas since 2011, has been sold. It was owned by Caesars Entertainment. It's been sold for $513 million to a new real estate investment company. If you've attended STLV over the last few years, there have been rumors every year about the fate of the Rio. Uh, It's sort of been signaled that Caesars was potentially preparing to transition out of an ownership stake in the hotel, uh, because after they came out of bankruptcy, they announced a number, uh, quite a significant investment in renovations in a number of their properties, all except the Rio. Um, So there's been talk about, you know, what was going to happened to the hotel? Was it going to get torn down in favor of a major league baseball stadium? What does that mean for STLV? Since it's, you know, for all you can say about the Rio being a really tired venue, it is actually a perfect venue for um, Star Trek Las Vegas. It has the right amount of space, decent hotel facilities, everything's all on site. It's it's a really kind of perfect space for it. Um, so now that the Rio has been sold, what comes next? Well, we don't know a huge amount other than to say that it will be at least two years before we see any significant changes. So as part of the deal that this New York real estate investment company signed with Caesars Entertainment, Caesars will continue to manage the hotel for two more years after the deal closes. And they may be asked to continue their management role and to extend the lease uh, that they're basically taking over for the property beyond that. So I think that means STLV for next year, certainly, I think no changes. I think we'll have to wait and see for after that. Unclear, you know, this is a company that that sort of specializes in purchasing hospitality assets like hotels, like malls, that kind of thing. And so, you know, it's possible that they will want to redevelop the entire property, but it's also possible that they just want to continue to manage the Rio and maybe we'll finally put the kind of money into it that the property needs since it, you know, it does need um, some serious serious TLC. But overall, you know, I think we're in wait and see mode. Creation Entertainment haven't said anything about what this means for STLV, but they're selling tickets for STLV 2020. Nothing's changing about the hotel. So I don't think we're going to see any changes for next year, certainly. And it's it's nice that the rumor mill can finally come to an end and we can start to kind of figure out what comes next for STLV. Tyler, you know, the Rio it may be a perfect location, but uh, it's definitely been showing its age the last few years, don't you think? Coming off of my fourth year going to Star Trek Las Vegas, I can agree with you wholeheartedly there. It has seen better days. Of course, you and I don't go for the hospitality. We go for our little family that we've made there over the past several years. And But you are absolutely right. It has gotten a little dilapidated. There are some areas that definitely need some, some tender loving care and some reinvigoration and so forth. But I have talked to some of my Las Vegas locals um, and some experts there about what this could mean and like possible uh, steps forward. That two-year agreement 
for Caesars to operate it. That's how long it's literally, that's how long it's going to take them to finalize this deal is that entire two years. And there is also a pretty strong substantiation that, you know, if they choose to do something different with the Rio, such as re redevelop the entire property, that they might consider moving the convention to that state-of-the-art convention center that Caesars is building, uh, which is down near the High Rollers, the Ferris Wheel, and the uh, Flamingo Hotel, which would open it up to like Caesars Palace, the Paris, Bali's, the Link, you know, hundreds of restaurants and bars, like all kinds of photo ops along the Strip with their cosplay and so forth. Or there's another rumor they can move it back to the Hilton. So like you said, there are all sorts of unconfirmed, unsubstantiated rumors about what's going to happen. But all you and I can confirm is that, yes, we are going back to the Rio for 2020 for the 25th anniversary of Star Trek Voyager. And then after that, who knows? But I know that if CBS and Creation Entertainment, you know, regardless of whether or not that relationship continues or it ends or, or whatever, Star Trek Las Vegas will continue in some form or another. It, it will continue in some way. Our little family will find a way to, we will adapt. We will move on and so forth. But this is definitely interesting news. And I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens and see what the Rio holds for the next two years. Me too. But as far as 2020 goes, I've got my hotel room booked already. As soon as general admission tickets go on sale, I'm buying them. And I will see you at the Rio Hotel next year, next August, for business as usual for STLV 2020. Yes, for all of you sort of reading these articles and so forth, I have to say, I just I have to read this back because this is such a huge news change for for Las Vegas and for entertainment gaming as a whole like this is a this is part of like a huge redevelopment deal with a lot of Las Vegas properties this is um, like a 17 billion dollar investment that this real estate company or this this resorts company is buying a lot of the Caesars properties we're talking 53 properties and then with El Dorado's properties which is the company they have 26 properties so this is a huge deal so it will take a long time for us to figure out what exactly is going on with any of the properties in this portfolio. So one way or another, we will find a way forward and we will adapt to whatever is coming. But like we said, 2020, that's here we come, Rio. Absolutely. And our last story this week, uh, it was a sad week uh, with the passage of Aaron Eisenberg, but Aaron was not the only member of the Star Trek community that we lost this week. Jack Donner, who played Subcommander Tal in the original series episode Balance of Terror, and Sid Haig notable TV veteran who played the first lawgiver in The Return of the Archons also passed away last weekend, and we send our thoughts and best wishes to their families. All right. Well, we're going to do something a little different this week for the theory speculation section. Rather than our usual wish or speculation for the Star Trek franchise, Tyler and I are each going to give you one way we plan to honor Aaron Eisenberg's memory. So we talk about the character Nog at the top of the show. We're going to talk about the man at the bottom of the show. Um, so Tyler... Tell me, how are you planning on Aaron Eisenberg's memory going forward? Well, aside from watching some of Nong's best episodes, thanks to the power of Netflix, I am going to take a little bit more time to um, interact more with my, with my online community that I have developed through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and so forth. Aaron was such a passionate man when it came to his social media, not only for, for his activism and for his photography and his, his work as an actor, but also for just keeping in touch with the people that brought him joy, which were his fans and his friends around the world. And it was amazing how something would pop up on my newsfeed where he would wish someone, just a random person, a happy birthday, or uh, just good luck with something that was going on with his life, or take care, or something like that. Just a simple comment that would 
make a fan's day. You know, it always made my day to get a to get a like or a comment from Aaron Eisenberg. So those are things I will always treasure. And I look forward to interacting a little bit more with sort of my, my, my acquaintances and my friends that I've made throughout the world, like you, Alex, that make my world a little bit better, especially when there are dark days, uh, like when we lost Aaron. But you know, we always um, we have to make now the most precious time because now will never come again, and we have to believe that the river will provide for us. And so far, the river has provided for me. So, I look forward to sort of bestowing that and, and passing that on to some of my other friends around the world. So, here's to you, Alex, and to you as well, Tyler. I I really really like that. And in a similar vein, I think for me, you know, it's to take nothing for granted and to revel in the special times. And, and recognize them for what they are, which is that they are special times. And I think, you know, this is a, this is a pretty special time. I've been a Star Trek fan since I was six years old, but it's not until the last couple of years that I have discovered the kind of community and, and friends and outlets to express that passion in ways that are more than just sitting in front of the television and rewatching my favorite episodes over and over again. It's been a really special time. You know, I talk a lot. I talk every episode about how, you know, we're in a new golden age of Star Trek. And, and just as the seven years that Aaron spent on Deep Space Nine were clearly one of the most special experiences in his life, this current kind of renaissance for the franchise, you know, I recognize it to be a really special time and I'm not going to take it for granted and I'm going to I'm going to recognize it for what it is and I'm going to maximize the opportunity to its highest potential because you know as we've as we've learned this week it's important to live and it's important to maximize the time that we have and I want to follow in Aaron's footsteps in doing that and in and in making the most of of the time that we have make now the most precious time my friend absolutely well that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek Thank you so much to my guest, Tyler Habiger, for joining me today. Tyler, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Please follow me on Instagram and or Twitter at RT Habiger. That's H-A-B as in boy, I-G-E-R. More than happy to chat with anybody and everybody in, in the vein of our, our dearly departed Aaron Eisenberg. I look forward to interacting with all of you. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to TrekCore.com. Well, thank you, Tyler. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, Live long and prosper. Mm-hmm.